Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Kyle Gillette, a dual-board certified physician in family medicine and obesity medicine and an expert in hormone optimization. And that's what we're discussing today. Dr. Gillette details key hormones men and women need to pay attention to and some strategies for optimizing those hormones. He also discusses the causes of adrenal fatigue and thyroid pathology. This was a fascinating conversation with one of the brightest minds in the business. And it concludes our three-part series with him. So if you miss those episodes, you'll want to go back and check them out. But before we get started today, would you please smash the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are listening on, is that is one of the best ways that you can support the show. But now, it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Kyle, there's been a lot of people I know, I'm 41, that are starting hormone replacement therapy. I'd love to understand a bit more, like, what are the key hormones that men and women should be tracking for optimal health? So we can talk about women first and then men if you want to. And what can we do naturally to keep those hormones in the ideal range? Not super physiological, but like, what, what can we do to keep, keep ourselves healthy? For women uh, and men, the hormones are actually very similar, just in different proportions. If you think about uh, taking a female first through their life, first they go through what's called adrenarchy. This is where they uh, have their adrenal glands kicking in and they produce many different hormones. They produce progestogens, which progesterone is the most common example of. Also androgens, testosterone is the most common example. And also estrogens, estradiol is the most common example. There's also, of course, many other minor hormones and intermediaries. But before uh, menarche happens, which is the first period, adrenarche happens that's when you usually have a bit of body hair in the typical areas for both men and women. Both men and women have this. And then you go through puberty and go through menarche. And then women go through menopause, which is when the ovaries you know, cease producing hormones and also do not ovulate anymore. So when that happens, you have a pretty precipitous decline in many of the hormones. And then you kind of resort back to how well-functioning your adrenals are. If your adrenals function better, they produce more DHEA, which is a very weak androgen. I describe it as the pawn on the chessboard of hormones. It can be queened up, so it can convert to both estrogen and testosterone in some quantities as well, depending on enzymatic function. And some people naturally have very high-functioning adrenals. Some people have very low-functioning adrenals. Relatively, that's called adrenal fatigue. Or when that area called the zona reticulosa ceases producing as many hormones like DHEA and cortisol. We, I hear about women with adrenal fatigue all the time or thyroid issues. What is that? Like, why is there an epidemic? I mean, I'm going to call it an epidemic. I don't know if it is, but there seems to be so many women in their 30s and 40s that are suffering from thyroid and adrenal issues. What, what is causing that? There are several things that cause it. After menopause, you're obviously not losing iron through the shedding of the endometrium, the shedding of the uterus. So you can have iron buildup in the thyroid. If you have something like hemochromatosis, the genetic predisposition to iron overload, those deposits can rust in your thyroid just like a shovel rusts outside and oxidizes. Same can actually happen in the brain tissue as well. Another cause is poor sources of iodine. So the more toward the center of the country you live, the more likely you are to have a poor source of iodine. So you don't want too much and you don't want too little. Selenium is also another reason. 
if you're selenium deficient, things like Brazil nuts have selenium in them, then you don't convert to active thyroid hormone, which can cause it to try to overwork, which also can lead to thyroid disease. When it comes to the adrenal fatigue part, I think of that as early adrenopause. So you have menopause, andropause, and adrenopause. Adrenopause is just when your adrenals stop working. That can happen for several reasons, possibly cortisol burnout from high cortisol for a long period of time can lead to low cortisol, but really it's just an early natural phenomenon or premature aging kind of along the lines of aging is abnormal. And this is what's happening earlier. That's still abnormal. All right. Let's shift our focus to men. I mean, I think men often think about testosterone as kind of like this master male hormone, but what are the other things? I'm sure there's a lot other, a lot of other things in the picture that we need to be concerned about. Yeah. So the same hormones are important in men. Progestogens are important in men. They have good effects in your central nervous system and which is your brain and spinal cord. Also estrogen is particularly important in men. You don't want too much and you don't want too little. So too little can lead to cardiovascular disease, plaque buildup. And it could also theoretically lead to slightly more brittle bones and worse function of serotonin and potentially demyelinization of some of your neurons as well. So estrogen and testosterone are both very important. Testosterone is important as a tool as well. So there's been a ton of studies on both natural optimization of testosterone, which of course the six pillars is great for, and also of TRT. And it appears if you give TRT to healthy males, it does not benefit them. And there are some risks, but if you give it to hypogonadal males, it actually decreases their risk of cardiovascular disease, likely just because they exercise more and have a better lifestyle. Wow. So it's like a second order effect. If you're someone that's pushing to be your best at work, at home, or in your personal life, then I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter, Adaptation. In this newsletter, I curate actionable information and resources on sleep, exercise, mental performance, diet, and so much more. You can sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes or going to www.ericcorum.com. Now, back to the show. So what can we be doing? Is this the six pillars? Is that where people need to start as far as like naturally optimizing the hormones and getting things in place? Yeah, the six pillars are a great start. There is some supplements depending on what your labs look like. For example, by the way, there's like four different types of ashwagandha, each with their pros and cons. We don't need to get into it. But if your cortisol is particularly high, then perhaps you consider something like that, which is evidence-based and can help your testosterone production. If it's- Is timing pellet, matter when you take it? I usually have people take it in the evening. Mm -hmm. So you produce most of your testosterone in the early morning. So it makes sense that if you um, take it at a time, also, if you're trying to decrease cortisol, you want that to happen in the evening as well. Um, it, I think it matters more for a supplement called Emodin, which I believe is synthesized from rhubarb, which is a very potent blocker of cortisol. That one I always have individuals do in the evening, often dinner and then right before bed. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different options. That's just one example of a vector. But getting good labs longitudinally over time, including knowing your baseline um, when you feel best, that is how you can be helped the most. So do you look at like in your private practice, do you look at labs and also genetic testing? Yes, often so. You don't have to. I don't think everybody has to do genetic testing at this point. Um, but if you read like Doctor's Digest or any academic journal, you'll see every day, every publication, there's at least a couple studies that correlate or that find a link between something genetic, often a single nucleotide polymorphism, a SNP, and a pathology. Hmm. 
What do you think about, I'm just curious, this is like maybe a little bit off subject, but caffeine intake and cortisol, can it affect testosterone? So caffeine can potentially benefit and be a detriment to testosterone. Okay. It, it, in general, it's kind of a wash. I just recommend people wait at least 30 minutes from first waking up to drink their caffeine or coffee. Because of the cortisol interaction? Because of cortisol and also just because it, it affects what the molecule called adenosine normally does in your brain. Mm -hmm. So that way you kind of give yourself a chance to um, like regulate your system naturally. It's almost like, you know, ideally everybody uses their own dopamine and adrenaline. But if you're, if, for example, if you're on ADHD, if you have ADHD and you have to be on meds for that, then that can, that's an exogenous replacement for it. So caffeine is almost kind of like uh, a replace, a neurotransmitter replacement therapy in and of itself. Hmm. Yeah. You gotta be, I mean, I love caffeine. I'm a, I found out that I'm a, um, now I'm a, I don't drink energy drinks. I don't do any of that stuff. It's neurodegenerative. I have a friend, uh, uh, Alison Brager, she's a neuroscientist, came on the show and she's like, she does a lot of research with in the army for soldiers and they found it's neurodegenerative. She's like, you got to stay away. I can't take it in, but I love coffee. I love coffee in the morning and a little bit in the early afternoon. Um, and I also found out recently I did a, um, a genetic test that I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine. Makes a lot of sense. It's never really kept me up before, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just have to be careful not to drink. I just love the taste of it too, coffee. So I have to be really careful with that. But um, this is fascinating. I really love how all of these things that we've discussed over the past three episodes really tie back to some fundamental things that everybody can do right. There's nuances to all of them, to diet, to exercise, to stress, sunlight, sleep, and your spiritual life. But really, if you look at building adaptive capacity, it really comes back to those six things. And then if you're doing those things and you're still not getting to where you need to get to, I think that's when it's really important to reach out to somebody like yourself to find out maybe is there an underlying pathology you just don't know about. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, getting yeah. everything naturally is the best way to do it. Mm. So if you can do that, that's the optimal way. Supplements and medications are just tools at the end of the day. And things like caffeine, vitamin D, even melatonin are kind of like hormone replacement therapies as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't stigmatize anything too much or too little. Everybody's an individual. And uh, even talking about neurodegenerative disease, the goal is to not reach a point of suboptimal central nervous system functioning. So the kidneys naturally degrade and you lose nephrons over your entire life. Also, your substantia nigra and uh, any neuron that helps produce dopamine in your brain also degrades. If you lose more than 90% of it, it becomes Parkinson's. But even perfectly healthy 80 or 90-year-olds, they have lost the majority of those um, neurons that synthesize dopamine. So there's a lot of different um, pathologies where the goal is to have uh, a long health span and not necessarily to... Um, you know, spend all of your time trying to uh, prevent something that will not have a negative sequela. So last thought here, this just really kind of hit home with me for just a second. Made me think there's only so long optimization really is like an, it's a bandwidth for where you are in your lifespan. So yeah. I want to be a high functioning 40 something year old male. 
I'm going to be a high functioning 50 year old male. I'm going to be a high functioning 80 year old. And it's going to look different. Yeah. And it's kind of seems like when people are messing with biologically, how we're, we're supposed to wind down. Um, does it mean that we don't want to do all these things to maybe prolong life or, you know, prevent things like degenerative arthritis or, you know, but if we're doing these six pillars, it's going to kind of keep us in a lane and in a place where it's okay. You know, you're going to get wrinkles. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to, your hair may turn gray, you know, and these are all things that are okay. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, how can you stay a high functioning person in a healthy range without going out and taking tons of medication? Is that kind of where you're going with this? You have to walk the line of the balance. So just like when you're raising kids, you're not going to be able to do everything perfect. You just do as good as you can and you try your best. So as you age, you also just do reasonably as good as you can. When you try to go, when you try to veer off the reality, almost like when the, uh, I guess it was the Avengers, they tried to veer off their reality too much and then everything got messed up. So they had to go back to their actual reality. When you try to veer off the course of aging too much, then um, that's when you're going to have an effect. For example, there's a debate on why low IGF-1s are correlated with um, longer lifespans. Um, because that's a sign of low growth hormone, which you think would be bad. But perhaps the body just naturally downregulates that as a buffer or mechanism in order to decrease your risk for cancer. The same thing for testosterone and high SHBG. Perhaps the body increases SHBG, which is also correlated with a long life, because it is in inevitable that you get prostate cancer. At age 100, 90% of men have prostate cancer. So perhaps that really high SHBG and low free DHT, your body knows that you're going to get it. It's just trying to grow it so slow that it's never going to affect you. Wow. There's a lot of wisdom in this. If people want to learn more, Kyle, like where can they find you? Where, where would you recommend them looking for more information about what you're doing? My home base is on Instagram, Kyle Gillette MD, and they can find us at GilletteHealth.com and Gillette Health on all other platforms. I love it. Thank you so much for spending time with us. This was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. My pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Gillette, you missed the previous two, make sure to go back and listen to them as they are chock full of amazing information. Also, if you're a fan of The Blueprint, would you please do us a favor? Leave us a comment and review in the Apple Podcast app because that is one of the best ways that you can help spread the word of The Blueprint Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.